Welcome to the Max Finance Podcast, where a certified financial planner and personal finance geek discuss how to make intentional financial decisions that maximize your money and achieve your goals. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Max Finance Podcast. Uh, Today, we are chatting about what are some things that you should think about before investing. Our previous episode, we talked about or we made the case about why passive investing could make sense and something to consider uh, as you're starting your investing journey or wherever you're at in your in your investing journey. But uh, this this particular episode uh, is pro- probably pretty good uh, to to kind of think about. Uh, maybe there's some things ahead of beginning to dive in. I know a lot of people are very excited about wanting to invest their money and and finding the, the best uh, and the most optimal way to invest. But there there could be some things that are ahead of that and we'll we'll dive in. Um, anything else uh, as, as I set the framing for the conversation, Lauren, uh, that you want to add there? I don't think so. I think, yeah, I think just giving people an overview of... Um, what are the things to think about and um just so that people don't aren't too eager i think that's important i think i think there's a lot of things that people should do to prepare first and um, understand what they're getting into beforehand just jumping right in what is your you know one of the first things that you think of uh for folks uh before they they dive into investing yeah So I guess the thing I think about is, um, you know, really assessing your kind of just your financial situation and making sure that, you know, you have a stable, um, whether that's a source of income or stable kind of, uh, you know, pool of, of assets or money, essentially, that you can live from. So to be able to support yourself. So I think that's really important that everyone has um, the ability to, you know, uh, pay for their living expenses and can, and can weather some, some storms, right. Can, can handle, uh, you know, ideally a potential job loss uh, in kind of the worst case scenario, or, you know, um, can kind of, is prepared for some of the curveballs that life throws you um, without having to, you know, maybe, take on a lot of debt to pay for those types of things. Cause I think, um, I would say it's, it's not worth, uh, investing if it means you also have to carry a lot of high interest credit card debt to finance your kind of monthly living expenses and stuff like that. So, um, so I think having, um, and it really depends on your situation, I think, right? Like if you're, if your job is extremely stable, like you're, you, you know, that maybe you work for, a maybe a government or you're a tenure professor or you're some other type of profession or, or job where like the chance of you losing your job is extremely slim. Um, then maybe you don't need such a large kind of, uh, war chest or, or savings, you know, before investing. Whereas on the flip side, if you are very kind of in a job that you may not, that you don't think is uh, very stable, then you might want to consider, um, amassing a, a larger amount of money and have you know more months of savings uh, before before investing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what we're really talking about, you know, is is living below your means. And we uh, went in an in depth conversation uh, in episode three. So if you haven't uh, done so, uh, make sure to, to kind of tune into that one. 
And I think that's a, that's a really good uh, setup for the investing episode as well. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you're touching on uh, emergency funds, and I, I've, I've got a couple things to see on this. But but um, I, you know, I think you know the age old wisdom is uh, three to six months of um, uh, expenses. And it's interesting, depending on how you cut it, there, there, there can be some nuance to that, to an emergency fund, um, before you just kind of, again, immediately dive into investing. You know, if you start to, to kind of peel back the onion a little bit here, the first thing would be, uh, well, obviously understanding what it costs to live each month. And then, you know, you, you kind of break that up into two sections, which is there's a usually a fixed cost associated, you know, the, the rent or the, the mortgage payment. If there's a car payment, uh, any any debt that you have to pay, uh, which includes the the credit cards, uh, you know, each, each student loans, anything like that. And then, of course, you know, the, the necessities, food, uh, uh, you know, clothing, shelter, you know, all that, all of that stuff. And, you know, first understanding what that number is. And then, you know, when you think about emergencies, I think about, you know, what if, if you were to lose your job, I think that's one of the biggest emergencies uh, where your income were to stop uh, rather than, you know, hey, car broke down, need a repair or, uh, you know, you, you have a medical bill uh, that, that you've got. Um, I think probably one of the biggest challenges would be if you were to, again, lose your job because you're, you're not only uh, incurring uh, expenses of, of what it costs to live, but also that income is, is, not, is not coming in. So if, if you think about it, like the, the right amount of the emergency fund uh, could, could, could be different. I mean, you could just take your general what it costs to live, but you're also lumping in things that are discretionary. You know, maybe it's the subscription services or the Amazon or the shopping or going out to, to restaurants and stuff like that. And so I think depending on the person and the way you want to view it, you could you could have a more conservative outlook, but that may delay your uh, time it takes to uh, be able to invest uh, because you're still accumulating that, that uh, emergency fund. And then also there's... Uh, it depends on, like you say, as well about the the income, uh, the stability of the income. Are we talking about a dual income household? Is yep. there one sole breadwinner? I mean, it's it, the list goes on and on. Yeah, no, those are really good points. Um, I think especially about yeah, first having to understand what your living expenses are, and then also just because you are spending a certain amount every month doesn't necessarily mean that you have to spend or that you will spend a certain amount if you were to lose your job too. But, you know, I think uh, some people might be able to tell themselves, hey, I could cut these expenses and these expenses, but would they actually do it? It might be kind of painful, right? And so I mean, people have to be kind of realistic with themselves. Um, and you also mentioned, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely consider all the sources of income you have, right? Whether it's, um, you know, you have a partner or maybe, you know, I, maybe you work multiple jobs, right? And maybe you have other sources of you have a side, a side business. And so I think, obviously, having diverse sources of income, I would say, um, reduces the, the probably the size of the emergency fund that you probably need. Because if you were to lose one source of income, you still have other sources of income. And, you know, ideally, if you if your uh, if your income and expenses is such a way that you could you know live off just one income, one of those income streams, then you have a lot of um, kind of redundancy there, and you could you know probably start investing immediately. You did also mention another thing, which was uh, a medical bill and stuff, and I guess that's something we should probably also say is that I think 
goes along the same vein, but not just having money to pay for living expenses. It's also just doing things to minimize the risk of like a really large expense. And obviously in the United States, health expenses are like the most common, really, really large unexpected expense. And so, you know, if you don't have health insurance, I would highly consider, you know, and I know it's incredibly expensive if you, if it's not being provided by your employer, but, you know, I think there are, uh, it's definitely like different kind of different programs and, you know, kind of market exchanges, depending on what state you live in that make it available for people of all income levels that, you know, if, if you don't have, any, if you don't have healthcare, I probably wouldn't recommend starting to, to invest. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's exceptions to that, but I think, uh, cause yeah, one, one trip to the ER and you know, that's a $10,000 mm-hmm. bill. Easily. Yeah. So like, yeah. Yeah. Could, could 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 wipe you you wipe wipe you wipe you out, and then the other thing too is if you're investing, you know, uh, heaven forbid you don't have a, a emergency fund, and or is or it's not enough, and the market uh, takes a turn south, and maybe you're you're kind of looking to uh, juice returns, and maybe you're very heavily invested in the stock market, or if you haven't listen to our, our passive investing, our, our case for passive investing, maybe you're investing in a couple of, of stocks uh, and, and you know, there can be externalities in the market that even though those companies are doing very well on, you know, in, in uh, revenue or a lot of the, whatever the metrics so that they look at, you know, this just, it could be swept, that particular share price or stock could be swept up by the externalities of, of what's happening in, in the market. You know, people are, are scared of, of inflation or uh, uh, just, just other things that are happening, geopolitical events. There's all sorts of things we can point to in the, in the recent history where uh, markets have gone down, um, the pandemic, no less. And so, um, yeah, that, that could be a double whammy where, you know, you've got this emergency uh, that you need to, to fund. Um, and then, you know, it, it, you might be relying on going, you know, credit card debt. And, and uh, you know, that might be something that you can kind of bridge the gap for a, a, a short, very short period of time. But obviously, are highly recommending, we are highly recommending paying that credit card debt down. I am curious to hear your thoughts on this because I'm sure you advise a lot of clients on like things like, you know, when it comes to other forms of debt that are not as high interest as credit cards, right? So like, mm-hmm. sl- I guess slightly lower would be like, um, well, I don't know. I guess there's student loans, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. student loans can vary a bit, quite a bit, I guess, depending on if they're private or kind of like government backed. Mm-hmm. Um, student loans, auto loans, and then I think like mortgages are probably some of the lowest interest rates. Um so yeah, I'm actually, I mean, honestly, I, those are not types of, um, um, I haven't had a lot of experience. Like, I've never had a mortgage, never, never carried credit card, like debt with interest, um, had a small student loan coming out of college and I paid off pretty quickly. So I, I try to think of what my strategy was there, but yeah, I'm just kind of curious as to how you advise your clients mm-hmm. as to like how they decide when to invest when they have some, some debt but it's um, you know it's it's at a lowish inst- interest rate. And where is that threshold that you that you kind of um, advise? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, you know, given where rates are at right now, um, so it, 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 at, at this at the, at the recording of this uh, episode, uh, rates are very very low. Um, there is talk that rates are going to go up, um, but uh, yeah, right now it's things are things are very low. And that uh, does well for borrowers, but it punishes savers. And so, um, you know, when you're talking about the 
the, the higher yield days of, of, you know, kind of early to mid 2000s, you know, you get a 5% on, on a high, on a checking account, no less. I mean, not even a savings account. That's, that's, that's mind blowing, but, um, a rewards checking account. I had to uh, like, those sorts of things still exist. Um, but, but the rates are, are much, much more, uh, lower than, than, than back then. So, um, the other thing sometimes I see is with balance transfers is they charge you an initial percentage of, yeah. of that. Even now, if you're, you know, if you have a, a credit card with a, you know, 15% interest and you can transfer it to a 0% for a year with a 3% mm-hmm. fee. That's absolutely, oh, you know, probably almost certainly worth it. Um, so, oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. The challenge is when, when folks are in really high credit card debt, uh, it's, it's getting yourself stabilized and, and not. And, and so that's why, again, it's so important to understand what it costs to live. And unfortunately, when you, you know, it's going to be a really snowballing effect with, uh, credit card and, and, you know, having to pay off, uh, never growing balance. And so, um, and then of course that, that lowers your credit score and then your ability to go and get a, a, a personal loan. Um, yeah. So, uh, first thing is just make sure you have an awareness, get to a point where you're neutral at the very least, uh, where the money coming in is equal to the money going out. And then ideally, ideally getting to the point where you can save some more and then really start to put some of that towards the, the credit card debt. Um, but yeah, in terms of, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's not out of this world to see credit card interest rates, you know, mid twenties even, uh, it can be really a highway robbery. And so I, I don't know of any investment that's legal that you're able to put your money into and, and make sure that you're, uh, generating that high of an interest rate. So, and it's certainly not advised to to go into the crypto and and, and try to, to, to dive into those waters. But there is a point at which, however, I think that it makes sense to uh, for the right person to uh, maybe not pay down their debt. Uh, as, and, and so, obviously, this we're kind of maybe more focusing on a, a debt episode here. But the I think some good debt um, uh, student loans to some extent uh, depends. I mean. The, and the heck, we could have a whole episode in student loans about how there is, um, uh, you know, if you've, if you've got your, so it's interesting because uh, most recently uh, there was a, a sort of moratorium or, 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 you know, you didn't have to pay, you know, a forbearance period. Um, and that's that's actually through the end of the year, I think, with the, the latest Biden uh, proposals, at least again, in the, as of this recording. And so I don't, this is this is unprecedented, you know, when, when uh, uh, the, the government is stopping, uh, no longer requiring people to pay their, their student loan and the interest does, doesn't accrue. So mm-hmm. that is absolutely huge. Um, you know, there's, there's a huge portion of the population where they've got a very large student loan uh, bill and, and and in some cases and really unfortunately that maybe they uh, are not all in in high power or high paying uh, uh, jobs so th- then it's kind of to- kind of looking towards public loan forgiveness and um, so uh, again kind of maybe going on in a rabbit hole down here on, on student loans but it's interesting because those those federal student loans often have a higher percentage. And so for those who refinance their loans, taking advantage of the low interest rate environment, uh, in some cases, at least in the short term, they're penalized because they still have to, to make the payments. Uh, lenders, uh, you know, private lenders are, are not, not, you know, maybe they'll give you a month here or there mm-hmm. if, if you ask and in, in, in informal policy, but definitely not like the the year, the year plus that we've, uh, uh, we've seen on the federal side. Um, so, so this is, now this is just broadly speaking, it really depends, but I'd say, and it depends on when you took your loans out. Um, but, but I'd say the federal loans 
again, as of the date of this recording, they can be almost twice as much or maybe even three times as much as the um, the rates you can go and, and kind of get refinanced to. Um, again, there's, there's before you do that, there are important considerations, um, again, with regard to the public loan forgiveness and and just in terms of the the payments that you would be taking on and and the term of that payment income based repayment options uh you, you often don't have that that ability uh, to to reduce the payment uh to a certain percentage usually 10% of your adjusted gross income so there is is a, a lot of um kind of things that you have to look out for that that you may be enticed with a lower rate, um, depending on your situation, the size of the loan. So yeah, th- again, there's a lot to look into here. But again, generally speaking, if we have good debt, which I would characterize um, student loan can kind of be on the fence there because uh, you very quickly move out of the the territory where that, that debt is... is um, the interest that you pay on that debt is tax deductible, and so uh, it's a very low hurdle rate. Um, and uh, and so that then could just end up being just like any other consumer debt, really. But uh, yeah, so so I would say if we are at around three percent or lower, okay, I would 3%. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After all of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, saw, I was waiting for. I was like, "All right, is it going to give me a number or what?" Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, tax deductibility, I guess, is a, a nuance. Could, I mean, ultimately, the, the ability to t- deduct the taxes is something you can. I mean, well, you can kind of calculate what that impact is, and so mm-hmm. if maybe if it's slightly higher, but it's tax deductible, then maybe that's equivalent to a little bit of a lower interest rate. That's that's not tax deductible. But just to clarify, you say kind of good debt and bad debt. Is it just because of what's tax deductible? I mean, does it really matter what the debt is for? Like if it's in, like assuming you have the debt, like, you know, whether or not it was a good, was a good, it was a good idea to take the debt out. Like, Mm -hmm. does it matter if that is owed to, you know, uh, in some cases, you could have multiple loans to the same company, but for different mm-hmm. purposes. You know, you could have had, you could have an auto loan, you could have a home loan, you could even have a student loan, all to your credit union. You know, doesn't matter what kind of loan it is, or does the only thing matter is like, you know, what is the interest rate and essentially kind of its tax treatment. And I guess you mentioned some of its like some of those special conditions and um public loan forgiveness for and public loan forgiveness yeah, which based imp- repayment plans which obviously just impact your overall like liability like or you know how much you might actually have to pay at the end of the day but yeah tell me more about like what you mean by good debt and bad debt i guess yeah i would say and again broadly characterizing it as a debt that is in service of an appreciating asset um okay let's a mortgage I think that's that's that could, that can be mm-hmm. good debt. a car loan. It depends on the interest rate, um, and and I think there's some gray area there. You know, cars don't appreciate, and so if you went out and just bought a, a like a brand new, you know, back back where I'm from in Arizona, like it's a it's a car town, and so you know people would would just you know get get into some really high debt uh, over just having a nice car and wanting to keep up with the Joneses, and so. Even if that, even if that, there can be a point at which, and I know this is all kind of a very wishy-washy answer, but you know, the old uh, quote-unquote, it depends. But there can be a point at which 
you may have gotten a really good interest rate on uh, a loan. However, the, the the total amount and the cash flow uh, each and every month is such a could be a high a high dollar value that it may not necessarily make sense to um, take the take you know, just pay the minimum amount and then take whatever else you could have thrown at that debt and invest it instead. You know that there, there's. Again, in the case of the car loan, where you're just you just you know maybe it's at a very low interest rate, but uh, it, it's like a thousand, you know, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars a month uh, in a payment, and you know I, I don't think that's in, in service. Of, I mean that's a, that's a good chunk of change, so uh, it, it could make sense to pay that down sooner. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but I, I think broadly it's it's um, you know when you look at a mortgage over thirty years. Now we're talking about a time scale that uh, okay, well, what do you think the stock market could do in over a thirty-year period of time? You know, if, if you had an extra one hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars uh, or more a month that you could, in theory, put towards uh, a thirty-year uh, mortgage and try to, to pay that, you know, and, and buy that down, you know, and maybe your interest rate, uh, especially with interest rates where they're at right now, I mean, you could get a sub three percent, you know, two and a half percent mortgage or, or refinance your mortgage uh if you haven't already you know definitely take a look into whether it could make sense now there are things to consider in that regard as well which is the uh refinancing cost that uh you know you're, you're gonna there's a fee that's associated with uh re, you know refinancing and so there's a break-even point in which it makes sense that you're going to stay in this house and you're not going to sell uh, at you know such and such period of time, so there's all sorts of calculators out there. Nerd Wallet has a really good one hmm. on uh, whether it makes it makes sense to refinance or not. And so, again, that that's something to consider. But again, over 30 year period of time, uh, you know, and you've you've got a three percent mortgage uh, interest rate. Uh, you know, you taking a stab out here on this one, but I think equities over a 30 year period of time, ideally, maybe seven nine percent. Hopefully, ten double digits. Sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think. Um, yeah, I haven't thought about the time frame as being that important. I think obviously, the longer the time frame, the more. I would say the the more likely you are to actually see that benefit. I would say right, mm-hmm. but I think like kind of the expectation is that the stock market would would do better. But yeah, I, I I see that. I mean, that that kind of makes sense. But uh, regarding the type of debt, like I, I I guess I'm of the opinion where I think there are types of things that you shouldn't take out loan, or if if you take out loans for, it, you should be careful because you often take out more loan for it than if you were to pay cash, right? Obviously, that's cars are a good example, but mm-hmm. obviously, like houses are like actually the most prime example. But no one really talks about as bad debt because they have the opportunity to appreciate, which mm-hmm. cars don't. Mm-hmm, but uh, mm-hmm. I kind of think about if you are literally deciding between paying cash for something and paying um, or taking out a loan, I don't think it matters that much if it's going to appreciate or depreciate. Like, I think what should only make a difference is like, yeah, what is the 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 terms of that loan? Mm-hmm. Um, both, yeah, I think the the duration as well as the rate. And I think ultimately, like, that's to me the opportunity cost of it. So I think, you know, maybe like five years ago or not five years ago, yeah when my wife got her first job we bought a car we could have bought we bought like a honda civic we could have paid cash for it, but i think mm-hmm. the interest rate was like two and a half percent or something and so i was like seems 
you know, I mean, it would have been simpler and I probably should have probably just did it, but like, we was like, okay, we'll optimize a little bit. I think two and a half percent really low, take out a loan for $15,000. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, to me, I don't think it matters that the card appreciates during that time. We would have paid cash. We would have, so, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but anyway. Yeah. And that, that could, th- there, there are other situations too, where let's say you were trying to buy a home at the same time. And you're, you, you, if you're depending on how much you're trying to buy, there could be debt to income ratios that you're running into, um, and you may not necessarily qualify as much. And it just maybe just for the sake of paying it down, it could just be easier to just pay it down. But yeah, so we could certainly engineer all sorts of scenarios where uh, I think either one. But you're right. If you had the cash, and you know you're not, you don't anticipate necessarily spending that cash on something else instead i think there's a, that's obviously another a trap that a lot of folks you know it's like i could do not only this and that uh versus i'm effectively using this money to uh invest in something that i think will appreciate uh over some period of time and and did you end up investing those dollars instead or did you just hold it in cash or uh yeah i mean essentially like you know we always kept maybe two or three months of expense, living expenses in cash just to make things simple. And then we would always invest the difference. So mm-hmm. es- yeah, essentially by, by not, you know, uh, piling up that cash for a few months, we just invested it immediately. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, my next question for you is, so you kind of said, you know, 3%, um, especially for a mortgage for a long, so you mentioned also a long duration makes it more mm-hmm. attractive. Mm-hmm. What if, you know, if you can get an interest rate that's that's low and you can actually just use that money to invest more in the stock market, you can like take out a loan just to invest in more in the stock market. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Like essentially kind of like mm-hmm. using leverage and stuff to um, to do that. I think not even for a house, but just purely borrowing money at a very low percentage to invest in the stock market. Because, you know, a lot of... Um, you know, uh, a lot of inv- brokerages offer something called margin, right? And Robinhood mm-hmm. is, a, is a kind of a mainstream one, but pretty much all brokerages offer a margin, which is, right, which is a loan that's usually backed by your investment. So that's, I guess, it's, we've already kind of gone into, you already have some investments, mm-hmm. but I'm just still curious as to what your thoughts are on that. Mm-hmm. And and one other quick thing to button up the um, the uh, home home you know kind of uh, arbitrage opportunity the difference between your interest rates that you're paying and the opportunity uh, that you could earn more than that and that's really the value you're getting you know if you're getting seven percent on your the stock uh, uh, portfolio and then you're paying three percent you know so that four percent is is how you win and despite that there. The, there can be this is the, the 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 way you would do it and win on paper there are all sorts of scenarios where just the sleep at night factor sure you just want to pay it down quicker so i, I want to acknowledge that so yeah as for your other other question i guess the way i would go about evaluating that option would be uh, how do you have the cash flow to pay the debt or how how are you satisfied is it an interest only loan that you and a presumably with mm. a margin you know, there's just interest that's accruing over time. Is that something that you just sell a certain amount? Like, how do you satisfy that? Yeah, I think typically margin loans for, I mean, I guess just to, it's, to make it a concrete example, because I think margin is probably the most common kind of form of of, of really low interest debt uh, beyond kind of mortgages is they're really just um, 
there really is no minimum payment. It just the interest just keeps running. There's no minimum keeps payments accruing. at all. Yeah, yeah no it just keeps accruing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good that's a good consideration factor. Is if you know, do you have? Because I think one thing to obviously keep in mind is the interest rate for mar- for marginal loans typically are not fixed, right? They can mm-hmm. they can fluctuate. Um, and I don't know kind of what kind of notice they give you. So I think yeah, it's a good point in terms of making sure that you have the means to pay off the the loan if you need to. So presumably you have some other types of investments. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mm-hmm. just kind of wanted to kind of get your get your thoughts on that because uh, this is something that. I'm personally doing right now. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's also just actually been quite helpful for other things too. Um, it just makes like cash flow planning is just simpler a little bit, paying mm-hmm. things like estimated taxes, you know, not having to put money aside and just have it sit in cash and just, you know, always just kind of yeah, keep a couple months of expenses in cash, invest the rest. And then, mm-hmm. oh, I need some cash to pay for kind of an unexpected expense, okay, I'll just take a little margin out. And then Mm -hmm. next Mm -hmm. time I get cash, I'll just kind of pay it back. Um, So it's not like necessarily, you know, taking out as bringing it to the max. But um, so I guess Mm -hmm. there's obviously a, uh, it's a whole kind of spectrum of how you could kind of use a low interest loan like that. Yeah, definitely. It it, from for the, the, the right person in the right situation, it can be a very advantageous uh, option. Um, you know, you don't have to sell. You know, the, the the kind of never-ending cycle of having to sell investments to raise cash, and then you're generating a tax bill because of doing that, and it's just like a, a never-ending cycle. And then you got to pay. You make sure you're you're raising enough cash to pay not only the bill there, but also whatever you're trying to raise cash in the first place for. So, um, you know, having access to uh, a margin loan. You know that that can be helpful. Uh, like you said, I think the the important key there is that you're not you're not maxing it out. Much like a credit card, you're not just going out and, and taking as much as you can. Um, that you're you're being responsible for it uh, with it, especially with valuations as high as they are in the stock market right now. Uh, who knows when the market will kind of reverse and reverse course. And it's obviously healthy for the market to do that. And I don't think it uh, just continually going up and up and up is, 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 is the most healthy thing, but yeah, th- th- there's some consideration where that could, that could make sense. Um, you know, again, just being mindful that there might be what's you know margin call. So if, if you're not within certain percentages, you, you know, the, the brokerage firm can automatically sell, those securities that uh, you know that that you have uh, to, to to pay the sure. bill effectively, so yeah. that can be a, a tough spot to be in if if you're kind of over over or very close to that that limit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack the conversation talking about margin. Particularly, I just thought it was kind of a extreme end of of or similar to kind of a low interest debt and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing before we, we we get off of that is that usually there is a certain minimum amount of of dollars that you're going to have. And it depends. I think it depends on the brokerage uh, that you're that you're with. I, I I could have sworn that I saw this at Wealthfront where they didn't necessarily require somebody to have like fifty or a hundred thousand uh, dollars. It could have been you know as, as low as like ten thousand dollars, and they give you you know access to like three thousand dollars or something. Right. Yeah. Um, and so maybe with some of these newer brokerage firms that there there's uh, enhanced you know or, or not as stringent and it's more accessible. Um, but you know we could also say much like margin, the same thing with option trading. And so there, there's, there can be that the, the more you have, you provide people 
the ability to engage in leverage or be in a in a, in a time where uh, there could be a significant. Anytime you add leverage, you're you're really magnifying the move. And so, you know, we always think of you know, most people. I would imagine think of leverage as uh, you know, if you're right. You know, you get to magnify that how right you are. Sure, but it, the same can be said if you're wrong, uh, and, and so the the same uh, can be true on on options trading as well. So yeah, um, yeah, just just definitely things. Even though it's becoming potentially more accessible, I, I think Robinhood is is allowing. I think that there's at least that what I've read they've they've had uh, you know given people more ability to uh, trade in options, and and you know they've got this sort of gamified. Uh, approach to investing, and you know, in some cases, that's that's paid off, especially in an up market. But uh, it can be a challenge when when things are going uh, sideways or, or south in the market overall. So sure, yeah. So have we covered the debt piece? I was wanted to I have a yeah, I had a question about like um, this idea and this concept of people talked about the idea that you know when you're first starting to kind of. Um, save up maybe you have your first job and you don't have three six months of living expenses saved yet but you know you're kind of eager to invest um are there any times like i guess one one suggestion has been you know using a roth ira sort of as a as kind of a quasi both emergency fund as well as investment because you know mm-hmm. a Roth IRA has a special ability where you can withdraw your contributions to it mm-hmm. at any given mm-hmm. time without any penalty or interest so mm-hmm. the idea being that instead of you know saving up 6 months of of expenses and cash or whatever um, and have it just kind of sit there until you start investing that you just start putting that money into a Roth IRA and then if you need if you ever need that money you can withdraw those contributions in an emergency. What are your What are your thoughts on that? I'm curious. Yeah, no, I think the Roth is a, is a super versatile account to potentially use. Um, the, the The pitfall that I see with that is again, if the market were to move south, you know, typically you're allocating your dollars a little bit more aggressively for retirement because you have a longer time time period for time horizon for that that particular goal. And so, uh, it, it, you know, if you're so there's a lot, of, a lot more risk, and so potentially your uh, uh, when you might need to pull those dollars could also correspond or correlate with uh, when the market is down. So if you lose your job, you know maybe the economy is not doing as hot, and so maybe the market is down. So you have to sell more shares to satisfy a certain dollar requirement that may otherwise have been much less in terms of shares if mm-hmm. you were selling in an up market. So yeah, that that would be one element that I would that would be cautious about but um you know uh, if you at the end of the day though if if you need the money you know you, you need the money so yeah i mean i think you could, there's also yeah i think roth ira is really just the vehicle like you don't have to necessarily put it in in equities you could put it True. in in bonds right um mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. bit more conservative like yeah i'm trying to think what else yeah yeah, you, you could. I mean, you could. Um, again, one of the benefits of you know, so the the Roth, uh, just to, for for those who aren't aware, the Roth, you're paying the taxes now, and then yep. the money grows tax free, and then you can in, enjoy the, all of that growth and all of those earnings by paying the taxes now. And so, again, that's that's a very powerful uh, vehicle. 
And again, I think the benefit really lies in the growth of that. But yeah, you're right. You could, in theory, I guess, maybe you carve out X amount of dollars for the quote-unquote emergency fund and just put it in something safer. And then the remaining of those dollars is more aggressively allocated. You know, there's no, no, you can certainly have multiple Roth IRAs and maybe you just have one that's more, uh, again, conservatively allocated. So yeah, I mean, that could work. I think there's also a potential benefit and, you know, even it's a very small amount of money that someone's trying to invest, right? Like, you know, yeah, they don't have a significant number of emergency fund, but even if, you know, they're able just to put in, you know, $50, $100 a month or something like that, I think just kind of building the habit. And I think mm-hmm. it's like, it's just, once you start, it's way more easy to continue and increase it rather than like, you know, it could take someone, a year, probably more than a year. To save. If it's starting from scratch to get six months of living expenses, but most most people will take several years, probably, or mm-hmm. you know. So instead of you know delaying several years, and again, it's not really about the total amount of money. I think it's just about kind of like building the habit, getting comfortable and kind of confident, and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. seeing how you react through the markets going up or down, even if you have a small amount of money. I think there's there's some benefit in there actually. And in fact, I might even recommend that for anyone. Like if I don't know. It depends on who you are, but like, even if you have debt and you have absolutely no investments at all, you know, mm-hmm. put fifty dollars a month. You know, I think most people get you know twenty dollars a month, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know, even like Vanguard, if you set up an automatic monthly uh, contribution, there's no minimum, I believe, or something like that. There's there's, there's certainly other platforms that have no minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just kind of building that habit, I think, can be kind of beneficial for more of like a psychological and learning standpoint rather than a financial kind of monetary, at least in the short term. But I think over the long term, it probably would have a, a financial benefit just because you're more likely to actually have invested a significant amount of money, you know, five years yeah. later, for instance. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, the behavior and just just setting those habits and getting in the in the habit of doing that and saving um, it makes a lot of sense too. And then you know, another another way you can think about it. Um, I mean, there's there's apps out there, much like uh, uh, I think Acorns is probably the first thing that comes to mind, where you're able to mm-hmm. um, it just sort of rounds up mm-hmm. uh, your credit card spending, and then it'll automatically set that aside. And so I've had clients where it's 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 you know, maybe they just had that kind of run in the background for six to 12 months and, you know, they got, you know, maybe a couple grand or something a little more substantial depending on their spending levels that, you know, it's nice to, to, to have that. Now, again, it depends on making sure that you're not going into debt there, but um, it's just amazing how you know, things that do that automatically uh, in the background. And so, yeah, just setting up, a, you know, $25 going in every month, um, that can be very helpful. Another way to think about it too is, you know, if you've got a, if you get a rate or you get an increase in your in your salary, you know, consider maybe giving yourself a little bit of bump. I, I totally recognize them. You know, I don't, I'm not saying live on rice and beans and, and never, you know, live at the same uh, spending level, but consider putting a, a, a good portion of those dollars automatically set aside in, um, you know, in, in the same cadence that you're getting paid or, you know, maybe it's uh, twice a month or uh, every two weeks. And so uh, you just automatically put that into an account. And so similar to the Roth where you're putting it in an account, it, it's almost like you're, it just feels further away and it feels harder to get to. And so 
um, I think that that can also be a good saving strategy in addition to the automations and and just maybe you bank it one in, in one institution and, and you open up a savings account and ideally a high yield savings account um, and high yield in today's low interest rate environments kind of half a percent but it's just somewhere different where the, there is a you know kind of two to three time a two to three day uh, movement from that that institution to your normal checking account so um you know just getting it out of the way and is as and, and starting that that behavior i think is is very important yeah no definitely are there any other situations where i guess w- w- one of the other things that people might encounter is um you know let's say they're in their first uh job out of school and maybe it's a larger employer hopefully you know in the in the future, all employers will offer four hundred one ks with low fees and and maybe mm-hmm. a little bit of an employer match. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if people have you know student loans that are kind of high interest, how do they just like you know? I think there are a lot of good situations where it does make sense to you know invest to get that match because a match mm-hmm. is often, is considered kind of like free money. Like oftentimes, you know, I guess what's like maybe a standard thing is you, let's say an employer will match 50% of your contributions, maybe up to a certain percentage of your mm-hmm. salary. Yeah, so let's three, say four or five. Yeah. Let's say, let's say you put in, you know, $2,000, they'll put in $1,000 or something like that. So yeah, how do you kind of think about both? Like obviously there's a relationship between kind of that matching percentage, right? Obviously the higher percentage, like the more money you get for the money you put in versus maybe the interest rate that you have on some debt. Yeah, no, I think that that's a that's a that's a really good point. Um, and, and considering to obtain that that free money, uh, one thing I, I would double check on uh, in that strategy is to see uh, what's the vesting period. You know, what how how long does it take you to actually receive the money that the employer uh, is is putting into that account? And so I would say, you know, if you work in the tech and 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 kind of uh, yeah, the tech world and certain startups. You know that it's almost instant, and that's yeah. That's not even like, I'm like, what's 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 vesting? I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, with, within the terms of uh, yeah, 401k matching, uh, I haven't seen it, but yeah, right. I guess it's I'm, automatic. I'm, I'm very very lucky. So I was working at Vanguard, and it was six years. So. Uh, and I'm sure I think it still is six so years. Each contribution takes six years to vest. Like so, you're 100 percent vested in your your contribution. But yeah, sure. It, it, it took. Um, it might have been full over five. I think the first year was nothing, and then it was 20 percent every single year. And it just blows my mind that uh, <laughs> that a, a company that is in the financial industry and is all really big about investing. And um, that was their idea of golden handcuffs. You know, hey, you're going to stick around and, you know, hitting that mark. And and that's when we we get the uh, the, the full vest. So um, that's one wrinkle. So not every industry, yeah. uh, as, as, we, as, as I've shared, is, is, is as generous as others. And so definitely... If if there was a chance where you've got a you know if there's a scenario where you've got high interest uh, debt and you've got a match, but you're probably not going to stay at this uh, firm for very long, um, you just have to kind of weigh that as well. But I, I totally agree with you that I think making the contribution up to the the, uh, the, the maximum match, if possible, uh, and this also it really depends on the company. So you've got some companies that do nothing at all. Um, uh, which is just kind of crazy to me. And then you have other companies that are very generous and they do 50% up to the legal limit. 
So uh, the $19,500 that you can contribute as an employee. So that is is amazing. And so that could really, and, and you know, on top of that, having an instant vest, meaning, you know, your those dollars are yours, uh, even if you leave tomorrow. So it really depends on what you have access to. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would say if, if you don't have a match and you have access to a 401k and you still have high interest de- debt, I mean, again, it depends how we're defining high interest. You know, maybe you still want to build up that, uh, you know, kind of behavior of, of, you know, 25 or 50 or 75 or a hundred dollars, uh, every so often, you know, again, broadly speaking, I don't think that's going to be a huge needle mover in terms of paying down that debt, uh, that much quicker, again, depending on the magnitude of the debt yep. you have. Yeah, no, agreed. Yeah. So this ended up turning to be a, a, a debt episode or kind of more of a focus on the debt episode. We talked about emergency fund, um, living below your means, um, talking about obtaining a maximum employer match. You know, I, I think another thing that we we kind of have <laughs> to, to talk about is just when you when you've got uh, at what so at certain stages it could make sense to start to invest in retirement accounts or because uh, we, we've talked a lot about maybe if you're in debt, uh, maybe if you don't have an emergency fund set up. Uh, but once you start to check those boxes, you start to get, you've, maybe you've only got good debt, maybe it's mortgage, uh, you pay down all your credit card debt, you've got an emergency fund and that's going. Um, this idea that maybe starting to save a little bit in each one of these accounts. But there, there also is is sort of a hierarchy in my view of, okay, you know, wh- which account do you start to save to first? And I think that largely depends on what you're trying to do, what's most important to you. And so I talk with a lot of folks who are interested in financial independence. And so um, the interesting thing there, though, and depending on how you define financial dependence, you know, you, you may think, well, maybe we should maximize your employee in, in retirement vehicles, but there may be a number of years before 59 and a half where you can pull some of these dollars out. So I know we could spend a whole episode on financial independence, but yeah, uh, I'm curious yeah. you're, you're, you're on, on the balancing act of just kind of completely maxing out all retirement vehicles versus, you know, maybe having some knowingly or willingly foregoing potential tax benefits and having that flexibility of cash on the side uh, so that when you get to, you know, to put some numbers out here, let's say you're trying to retire at 40 and you've got nearly 20 years difference uh, before you can start to really tap in to that retirement vehicles. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Just as we're talking, I was actually typing out notes for a future episode about how to decide which which account to invest in, I think, because that's so mm-hmm. very complicated. I mean, yeah, it can be complicated. There's lots of choices. It can be overwhelming, the, the choices, right? Like you have IRAs, you have your maybe potentially a employer 401k, and then you have, um, you know, just normal taxable accounts, and there's probably others too. So I think we could definitely, we should probably spend a whole episode talking about that. Um, I think in short, though, I think it does you know, on the face of it, seem like, oh, if you want to, you know, retire early and want to have access to your investments, you shouldn't put all your money into accounts that say you need to be 65 to withdraw them. Because there are a lot of nuances and and loopholes and, and strategies that you can do to get that money out without paying penalties on it. So yeah, we can definitely talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, in short, there are, you can 
take you can take 401k funds, you can roll it over to a traditional IRA, and then you can convert it. The conversion you pay tax because you're you're taking something that you never paid tax on. Assuming you're you made traditional 401k contributions, you you took a tax deduction when you made that 401k contribution. You roll it over to a traditional IRA, so it's still pre-tax. And then when you convert it to a Roth IRA, and that's moving it from pre-tax to, to post-tax. And so that's a, that's a taxable event. So you pay tax there. And then you have to wait five years. And then I, we've talked about this via email. I, I, I can still never get it straight. There's all, these, there's all these rules about five years, about account being open five years, each conversion's five years. But if you mm-hmm. wait long enough, then you can actually take that money out of the Roth IRA and you'll have to pay tax on it. And of course, you know, we, that's never, uh, that's, you always have to pay tax, but it's, uh, you won't pay any penalties or interest or like fees. So, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, there are definitely strategies that be able to do that. So mm-hmm. I would still say for, um, and I think we should talk about this in another episode that, yeah, for people that are in uh, relatively, you know, high income and, and expect to be in lower income in retirement, I think definitely makes sense to take advantage of the, um, tax deductions of, of a traditional 401k and, traditional IRA if, if you're able to qualify depending on your income. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot here. And, and clearly, we're, we're dialing up on the complexity, you know, to going from more one-on-one, uh, one-on-one uh, uh, type uh, topics to something that's maybe, you know, 301, 401 type level of topics. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting things to discuss there. Um, you know, especially I, I've I've uh, heard a lot of uh, folks uh, think that taxes are going to be much higher in the future, and so obviously that would add a, a wrinkle to to everything that we've just uh, you just described there. Yeah, so so this maybe is more foreshadowing for a future episode that we'll we'll dive into. But uh, curious what what you all think. You know, what what areas uh, in this episode did you resonate with? Uh, what areas did did uh, you have more questions or want us to dive a little bit deeper in? Drop us a line, uh, feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. Again, it's uh, feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you uh, as, as, just, as we're diving into some of the things to think about before investing. And then, uh, yeah, make sure if you haven't, uh, tune into episode three, uh, where we're talking about living below your means and in some ways uh, to, to, to uh, practically go about doing that and, and, and understanding where you're at. And then, uh, yeah, if you haven't already, then you can go into uh, the, the past episode um, and, and listen to the passive, uh, our, our case, at least, uh, for passive investing. Any, anything else, any final thoughts, Lauren, as we kind of wrap up this, this uh, episode? No, but uh, yeah, I'm excited for, for future episode. I think we kind of talk, talked about a few topics that definitely are worthy of expanding on soon. So. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of great stuff. So uh, stay tuned, folks. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you next time. See you later. We're a new podcast and it would mean the world to us if you took a moment to write a review in the Apple Podcasts app or share this episode with a friend or family member. We'd like to hear from you. Is there a topic you're interested in? Have feedback more generally? Email us at feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. Thanks and see you next time.